When Paul writes to the saints at Philippi, it is a letter written to some of his dearest friends, and it is a letter to a young local church that was birthed through the power of the gospel and is sustained by the power of the gospel and whose only hope for the future is found in the gospel. This is Philippians, and we are Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Okay. Marshall won yesterday, in case you didn't, didn't see that. Um, so it reminded me that I used to be a really diehard Marshall fan. I'm still a Marshall fan, a pretty... My wife would say I'm probably a little too, still too zealous of a Marshall fan, but I was deeply committed to Marshall football. And I have two memories as a Marshall fan that I've carried with me the whole time. One of them can't be spoken of in church. I'm still proud of it. My wife doesn't think I should be, but I'll gladly tell you about it in a different setting. The other happened almost 20 years ago. This was November the 12th, 2002. Byron Leftwich was making his campaign for the Heisman Trophy, which he did not, it didn't get. But he was injured in the Akron game. There was a game at Akron. Maybe you remember the clips of the offensive lineman carrying him up to snap the ball, and he ended up coming back to play in the second half, even though he uh, fractured his foot or something. And, and anyway, and that was a great game. The next game after that, he didn't play. He didn't even dress for the game. So a guy named Stan Hill, the backup QB, is playing. We're playing against Miami of Ohio. Oh, I hate Miami of Ohio. And they had a quarterback who I would grow to hate for the rest of my life. No offense to Steelers fans, but Ben Roethlisberger just earned my, I mean, just full brunt of my anger through his time at Miami of Ohio. And he never redeemed himself from that. So Stan Hill is leading the herd. They don't look as good as they had before. They're losing the game. They need a touchdown with like six minutes left, and they get the ball multiple times, can't convert with it, and finally they punt the ball away with less than three minutes left, and everybody starts to exit the game. It's over. The perfect season, everybody's hopes and dreams, as the typical Marshall fans are dashed. It's just commonplace. So everybody's leaving the stadium, and I stand there with way too much passion and aggressiveness than I should have, by the stairwell as everybody's walking by and, and scream at them, where are you going? Why are you leaving? And as they turn and head up the tunnel, I'm screaming, you're going to miss a great finish, right? And they did. And I pray to God that they still hear my voice ringing in their heads, right? Like, like as they were listening to the game on the radio as they went home and with four seconds left, Stan Hill Pump fakes the ball, gets the defender off the ground and bootlegs out and runs in for a touchdown to win the game. I hope they heard my voice. You're going to miss a great finish. Quitters. That's what they were. Now, I've quit on the herd as well, so I can't be that. You're going to miss a great finish. That's a, a very lighthearted illustration or introduction to a very earnest and passionate section of Scripture. This is a very earnest and passionate call to the people of God to not quit. Don't quit. And not like quit, like convert to atheism, but like quiet quitting. That's a thing now. You've heard of quiet quitting. 
It's like popular culture now that we understand. Which is where you continue doing your job, but you give it way less of your energy and effort. Okay, So like you're going to give the bare minimum at your job. It's called quiet quitting. That's more of what I'm talking about. That we as Christians are tempted sometimes to grow apathetic, to invest ourselves less in knowing Jesus, to, to quit as Christians. And this is an earnest call to not quit. Last week we saw bogus religion versus true religion. Bogus religion being, look at me, look what I can do. True religion being look what Jesus has done and look what Jesus is, is doing. And we boiled down the essence of that to what Paul said, that we may know Him. Knowing Jesus is the essence of true religion. That's it. And that's enough. That we would seek Him, be satisfied by Him, and be shaped by His presence. That's the hope. That's the desire. That's the Christian Life. That's what we were made for. There is nothing else but that. In fact, if I could just make it click in my own brain, let alone all of your brains, that there really is nothing else. That's it. Knowing Jesus is primary and everything else is secondary. There is nothing else. But on Wednesday, and and I believe that there's nothing else, but sometimes I quiet quit in the Christian life. And on Wednesday, I talked to two people in separate conversations who said, hey, I'm just not feeling it when it comes to seeking Jesus, when it comes to being satisfied by Jesus and being shaped by Jesus. I know it's true. I know that's what I should be doing. I intellectually grasp it, but I'm just not feeling it. So Paul says to us, listen, every saint, this is his argument, today is a work in progress. Every one of us is a work in progress, and that means that our past and our present sufferings and imperfections are not reason enough to quit pressing on to know Jesus. That's the argument he's going to make today, lovingly, gently, beckoning you, don't quit. No matter what your past mistakes or your past suffering. No matter your present suffering or your present mistakes or imperfections or sins, don't quit pressing in to know Jesus. Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're only covering verses 12 through 16 today. Verses 12 and 13 is Paul reminding us that we are a work in progress. He says, I myself am a work in progress. Verse 12, he says, not that I have obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This thing that he's talking about, not that I have obtained this, is everything he's talked about in this letter. We spent a couple weeks talking about the marks of citizenship as an example. That to be a citizen of the kingdom looks a certain way. He says, I've not attained that. I'm not perfect at that yet. I still make mistakes. I still don't live up to the standards of kingdom citizenship. More specifically, he's talking about the immediate context of knowing Jesus. Like fully being shaped and satisfied by the presence of Jesus. He says, I'm not perfect at that either. I've not obtained that yet. I'm not there. Paul and all of us are a work in progress. We have to own this reality. 
There's a lot of implications that are helpful to us, encouraging to us, if we can own that reality that we are all a work in progress. Hear me today from a theological term standpoint. There's a word called justification, which I think a lot of us understand that through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, those who come to Jesus in faith are made right. They're made righteous before God. They're justified before God. Justification happens when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll say you're saved. It's quick. But there's another word, sanctification, which is the process of being made more and more like Jesus that isn't quick. It's a lifetime process. We don't turn into super saints overnight. We grow more and more and more. That's called sanctification, not a quick process. And this explains our imperfections and our inconsistency. We don't always get it right. We don't always choose righteousness. And that shouldn't surprise us because we're all a work in progress. This explains your, your and my mixed motives and fluctuating motives. We don't always love the right thing. We don't always desire the right things. Sometimes even when we're doing the right things, we're not motivated in the right way. That shouldn't surprise any of us. We're all a work in progress. Paul talks about this in another place as well. Romans 7, chapter or verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions, he says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He's torn up inside. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You confused yet? Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is Paul saying to the church at Rome, I don't get it right all the time. And sometimes it's really stinking frustrating. My motives aren't good all the time. And sometimes it's really stinking frustrating because I want to know Jesus. I want to be shaped by him. I want to be satisfied by him, but my old flesh is working against me all the time. We're a work in progress. This is the author of so much of your New Testament, by the way. The greatest missionaries to ever walk the face of the planet Earth. And he was a work in progress. You and I are a work in progress. But what about my past, you say? Well, Paul foresees that question as well. What about the other people around me who look like they've got it all figured out? Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. This is verse 13. There's another statement of of owning that he's a work in progress. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Hear this today. If If he sounds like he's talking about running, you, you're, it's exactly right. This is the terminology he's using. He's using athletic terminology. And he says to, to them, there's two things, two ways, two things a runner shouldn't do. One, literally, physically, a runner should not look behind him or look to this side or that side. 
right? If you're looking behind you, your power, your running form is thrown off. If you're looking beside you, your running form is thrown off. You lose focus on where you're going. And so the runner should not literally be looking from side to side or behind. This is the idea of not being distracted by everybody else's race. You run your race as a Christian. What God is calling you to, what God is transforming in your life, like you might look at your Instagram feed and think, well, that person's running the race better than me, right? You might look up and down these rows and think, Man, I sure am running the race better than them, right? Like that can be the tendency to compare ourselves to everyone else. Paul says don't. We forget those distractions around us. We focus on our race. God is growing you at the speed He wants to grow you. God is changing your life in the specific ways He wants to change your life. Don't be distracted by everyone else's race. Forget those things that are behind. Literally, don't be distracted by what's going on around you. But also, runners can't afford to look behind themselves metaphorically. They have to forget the past. One example, and this is an old movie, Chariots of Fire, if you've seen that. It's based on a real-life runner named Eric Little. And so if you know the story or remember the, the movie... This guy ends up in the Olympics, and he's running in uh, the 400-meter race, and in the first turn, he's ran into, and he falls down on the ground. And almost inspired by it, he gets back up, he tracks down all the runners within 400 meters, passes them, and wins the gold medal. Now, what he couldn't do is sit there on the ground and start punching the ground. I'm such an idiot. What have I done? I'm a moron. I can't believe I blew it. Or get angry at the person who nudged him, right? Like, he literally could not remember what was behind him. He could only focus on the finish. It's what he had to do. If he was going to win, if he was going to finish, he had to focus on the end. So don't be distracted by everybody else's race, and don't be distracted by your mistakes and the times that you've fallen down and the times that you've blown it. That's the idea. Instead, look to the future. The future is where we are going. The past has to stay in the past. Those around you can't distract you. Run your race. The future is where we're headed. You see, Paul isn't just speaking in athletic terminology. He's speaking in, here's a million dollar word for you, eschatological terminology. Greek word, um, therefore, it's exitos means like end times. And then ology, I think we all know ology is knowledge. So knowledge of end times. That's what eschatology is. It's just a million dollar word for the things in the future. And he's talking about the things to come in the future. You see, justification isn't the only quick thing. You have justification. You're made right with God. Become a, when you're saved, you break right with God. Then you become like Jesus. That's sanctification. Long process. But one day, glorification. That's the word for the day that Jesus makes you perfectly into the image of himself. 1 Corinthians 15.52 In a moment. 
In case you wonder how to define moment, he says, in the twinkling of an eye. How long does it take you to blink? That's how fast it'll happen. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. One day you will be satisfied completely with Jesus. One day you will do nothing but seek Him. It will be your greatest joy. One day you will be shaped by Jesus to look completely like Jesus. That's glorification. It's coming. You might not be perfect today. You might be a work in progress today, but we won't always be. That's your future. And this reality should influence how we live. Verses 14 and 15. Let's call this the already but not yet. There's a book that we... I've read from this before. It's a children's book, but she hits the nail on the head. So oftentimes, Sally Lloyd-Jones, the author, thoughts that make your heart sing. She uses this terminology already, but not yet. I want us to grasp this reality. She says we are living in between already justification. We've been made right with God and not yet. We have yet been glorified. We haven't been made perfect. We're still works in progress. We're living in between already and not yet. Jesus has already rescued us from the punishment of sin. We are forgiven and free. But the world is still broken. Amen? We still sin. We still die. Things still aren't the way they're meant to be. One day, but not yet, Jesus is coming back again. Not as a baby this time, but as a king of the whole world. And then he will mend his broken world. There will be no more tears or sickness or dying. Even the trees will sing for joy. While we wait, God wants us to remember sin, sickness, tears, death, they won't last. They're real today. They won't last. They will come to an end. But joy, love, life, and you, those are forever. Already. But not yet. We run towards the future. And owning this reality of already but not yet enables us to press on, to not quit. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the upward call? To know Jesus. He says, I'm not going to quit seeking to know Jesus. Jesus, I'm not going to quit seeking to be satisfied by Jesus. I'm not going to quit seeking to be shaped by Jesus. The already but not yet calls, tells you that your past is behind you. And it tells you that your present is imperfect, but that your future is incredibly bright. Press on. Hosea says it a little bit differently, but same message. Verses 1 through 3, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us. Life is hard sometimes, that he may heal us. Healing's coming. He has struck us down. He will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. Your suffering is real. Your suffering is hard. But it's for a season. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Hosea's conclusion, let us know Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers 
as the spring rains that water the earth. Press on to know Jesus. Don't quit. Not only that, but owning that the, the already but not yet mentality enables us to think rightly. Paul says in verse 15, let those who are mature think this way. It's funny, Paul does this a lot. It could sound arrogant, but if you read all of who Paul is, you know he's humble. You know that every good thing about him he attributes to the grace of God. He's not being cocky when he says, the way that I'm presenting to you to think is the way that mature Christians think. It's the inspired word of God, and he wants us to believe that. That thinking in terms of the already but not yet, we're all a work in progress, but we're also a work of promise, gives us hope to press on. He says, think this way. Those who are mature, think this way. Think of life through this paradigm. But if you don't, he says in verse the rest of verse 15, and if anything, if, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He says, you'll see it one day. If you don't see it today, you'll see it one day that this paradigm for thinking about life is the way to think about life. God will make it apparent to you. He'll make it self-evident. So we're each a work in progress and a work of promise. That's important that you hold those two things in tandem. You're a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. We're also a work of promise. And this reality should influence the way we live because, last verse, the grace that has saved us is the grace that will lead us home. Verse 16, he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. He says, there's a reality that you need to hold on to, and it is this, the already. And what is the already? Grace upon grace. John 1.16 And from His fullness, the fullness of Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace is already yours, child of God. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And you've heard Paul say at other parts in this passage too. In verse 12 he said, Christ Jesus made me His own. It's Jesus' work, not mine. In verse 14, he said, in Christ Jesus. In verse 15, he said, God will do this. Our confidence is not in the flesh. If it was, we should all just quit because none of us have what it takes. None of us. But because of the grace of God, we have what it takes because we sing a different song. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. He who began a good work in you, Paul said earlier in the letter, will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Don't quit. Reach a work in progress and a work of promise and this reality should influence the way we live because the grace that has saved us is the grace that will lead us home. So two takeaways for the saints of God today. One, Take ownership of the reality that you are a work in progress. Chuck Swindoll, uh, a preacher, fairly famous, maybe you've heard his name before, would tell this story to symbolize what he means by this. He said the treehouse, the clubhouse, only had three rules. 
Nobody act big. Nobody act little. Everybody act medium. That's what I mean. If you forget you're a work in progress, there's two ways you can go. You can start acting big. God sure is lucky to have me on the team. I'm getting it done. They're giving me gift cards in church and stuff, man. How cool is that? Thank God God has me for the team. Start acting big. No, you're a work in progress. You ain't there yet. Or you could act little. Your mistakes compound upon yourself. I'm a failure. I don't have what it takes. God has no place for me on his team. What am I even doing here? Start looking to your left and your right, like the bad runner, right? Supernatural. It's a, superly, it's a supernatural thing? No, it's a very natural thing is what I'm trying to say. To look left and right and say, hey, I'm not running like they are. I stink. No. Nobody act big. Nobody act little. Everybody act medium. You're a work in progress. That means we're all on even playing field. And one day, we'll be made righteous. Number two, don't quit. And I mean it again, like, again, just to reiterate what I said at the beginning. I don't mean that I think that we're in danger of all of us walking out of here and saying, I'm done with the Christian faith, right? I'm done with it. I don't want to follow Jesus again ever. I'm talking more about our propensity to do quiet quitting, to just kind of give up on the thing while still going through the motions. Don't quit. For some of us, you want to quit, I want to quit because we're distracted. You found some things that satisfy you for now. Things that make you busy. Things that numb the pain. They distract you, right? You can keep your calendar full enough. You can keep scrolling on your phone far enough. You can gossip enough that you can make yourself forget yourself, right? Get distracted. Some of us are quitting because we're distracted. Are you growing apathetic? Don't quit. For some, we want to quit because we think we're undeserving. You've made too many mistakes. You can't get your life together. You're broken. Comparison is killing you. Self-doubt, guilt, shame are your language of choice. Toward yourself. You don't even like yourself. How could Jesus like you? Does He even want you in His family? Does He even have the power to change someone as broken as you? Do you feel like you're lacking today? Don't quit. For some of you, we, we want to quit because we've been hurt. Maybe by people in the church. People who claim to represent Jesus. Maybe by people close to you. Maybe people have abandoned you intentionally or through a tragedy, they didn't abandon you, but you lost them. And you've been hurt. And the wounds are deep and the pain is real and the nightmares still pop up into your head and the void of loss sits heavy on your soul. 
Do you feel unspeakable pain today? Don't quit. And some of us, we want to quit because we're just so stinking weary from this life. You haven't caught a break in years, doesn't feel like. The blows keep coming. You didn't have the strength to carry what you already were carrying. And now life has thrown one, two, seven things at you all at once. You're weary. You're tired. The burdens are heavy. The days are long. The the climb into a place of rest seems insurmountable and steep. Are you drowning? Don't quit. Don't quit seeking the presence of Jesus. Don't quit being satisfied, seeking to be satisfied by the presence of Jesus. Don't quit seeking to be shaped by Jesus. And that's going to look different for all of us individually. Don't quit looks different for you and you and you and you and you up and down these roads. For some of you, it means keep building something that looks obvious to you and those around you that it's a good work. And so you can see the goodness of it. Maybe even there's some people cheering you on and inside you want to quit, but you're like, I, I'm not going to quit. I'm keep building. For others, and this is me some days, and I'll be honest with you, not quitting means you get up and you go to Jesus in prayer even though you feel like you're talking to a brick wall. For you, that might be what it looks like to not quit. And if that's what it looks like for you to not quit today, stop looking at the people who are building stuff and just pray and be okay with that. That's your race today. To run your race this week might mean that for the first time in weeks, you seek the face of God. Say, man, I don't know that you're listening, but I need you. Whatever it looks like for you, don't quit. Keep pressing on to know Jesus. There is nothing else that will satisfy your soul. There is nothing else that will bring joy to your heart. There is nothing else. Keep pressing on to know Jesus. Every saint is a work in progress. Own that because that means that our past and present suffering and imperfections are not reason enough to quit pressing on to know Jesus. So keep going. Don't quit. Now, Jesus, juke and flip. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to say quit. (laughs) Quit trying to save yourself. Quit trying to earn God's favor on your own. Quit running from God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Jesus died on the cross to make it possible for you to be made right with God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. If you're not a Christian and you have any questions about what it looks like to become one, I will stay here till midnight to talk to you about that. Please let me know. I would love to talk with you about what it means to be a Christian. Father, thank you. Here's something I should have said in the sermon. You never quit on us. Man. That's good news. (laughs) I pray in particular for the people in this room or who will hear this on on the audio 
who feel like quitting. They won't hear my voice. They'll hear your voice. Saying, hey, I love you. And I am for you. And I am with you. Don't quit. Walk with me. I'm taking you somewhere. Somewhere beyond what you can even imagine. Do that in the hearts of your people. By your good grace, I can't. You have to do it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.